0: Welcome, my friend. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is time for a little commentary. We're going to jump right in here. The phone lines are not open. This is a recorded show. I use my commentary segment to just kind of catch up on the odds and ends that I've collected over the last several days. I'll probably do one commentary a week. I was hoping I could do a couple more. Um, but it's just, it's, it takes a lot of time. It takes so much more time for me to put together an, an hour of this kind of content actually it takes me about three to four hours. And I just don't have time to do it more than once a week. So I'll try to catch up on things. Um, sometimes these are all over the board. I might be talking about health, politics, trucks, the economy, whatever. Today's, um, fairly specific. Uh, today is mostly about trucking. I'm looking down my list here. Uh, actually, I think it's all about trucking. I don't think I have anything other than trucking today. Well, the first one is uh, is is government-related. There might be a couple in here um, that have some politics to them, but it's all about trucking. So we're going to jump right in and get to it. I always like to get started on these days with a Shot a quote and something I'm grateful for. Taking a shot of uh, straight up jalapeno hot honey today. That's a good one. Not too hot, got that nice jalapeno taste to it. Good for your immune system. A quote. We really need this quote. Life doesn't get easier or more forgiving, we get stronger and more resilient. That's what should happen. That's what we want to happen. Unfortunately, I see a lot of people who are not getting stronger or more resilient and life is not getting easier or more forgiving. That's gonna create some issues. So this is up to you. Life is not going to get easier or more forgiving. In fact, it seems like it's the exact opposite. The last couple years and it doesn't look like it's slowing down. Everything about life has gotten harder, more stressful. You need to change. You need to uh, upgrade your operating system and become stronger and more resilient. And what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for the brave people in our world today that are getting stronger and more resilient and are pushing back, pushing back on our government, pushing back on our media, pushing back on social media, not being afraid to talk, even though the repercussions can be pretty nasty. You could get canceled. You could lose contracts. It can cost you money. I've had all of those things happen. We can't back down. We can't shut up. So I'm grateful for the people who are standing up uh, for what they believe in. All right. First article today. Here's the headline. Biden Climate Blueprint Promotes Modal Shift Away From Trucks. So. The Biden administration has one big push right now. Really, if you, you look at all the problems we're facing, we just went through the State of the Union address and he ignored all of them. Uh, the southern border is an absolute disaster. Our country's being invaded. It was ignored. Fentanyl killing hundreds of thousands of our young people now. That's also happening more because of the border crisis. These two go hand in hand. Fentanyl barely mentioned, and when he did mention it, he got it way wrong. He he made like one sentence, Fentanyl's killing 70,000 people a year. It probably closer to double that. But that was all that was talked about. No solutions, hundreds of thousands of young people dying, and we don't talk about it at the State of the Union? And there's no plans to do anything about it or make it any better. What's with that? So um, I didn't mean to get off on the the fentanyl and the border thing there, but um, there's a lot going wrong in our country. Those are just two. I mean, inflation is through the roof. Energy prices are through the roof. Crime is insane. (sighs) The health of the American public is so bad and getting worse. I I could go on and on and on. None of that stuff was touched on. Here's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about their new climate blueprint. And here's what they're really looking at. I'm not sure how they're going to change this, but they're, they're talking about a modal shift away from trucks. Well, At some point, it has to go on a truck, and I just don't know how much you can shift away from trucks, but they're going to try to. Here's kind of, there's a whole bunch of government speak in this article, um, but here's kind of what we have to watch out for. It says, in detailing the vehicle efficiency strategy, the blueprint points out that trucks and vans are the largest contributor to freight emissions. Heavy road vehicles in particular can be difficult to decarbonize, the administration states. This energy and emissions intensive paradigm is a significant reason why transportation has become the largest greenhouse gas emission source in the United States. Yeah, something has to be the largest, and we use a lot of transportation, how how do they think they're going to move away from trucks and vans? Their ocean liner that brings the freight across the country isn't going to get it to my door. The train that it went on isn't going to get it to my door. Anything that they send to my door is going to require energy. But how do you, I, really, they don't say here how they're going to move away from trucks and vans, but they claim they're going to. I I guess maybe the line haul part of it, they're going to put more on trains. Well, I'm not real happy with that. Trains have been our biggest competitor forever. Now the government's going to give them an advantage. What a mess. Elections have consequences. Let's not forget this. Uh, all right. I don't want to spend too much time on that one. Um, I thought this one was interesting. Talk about uh, interesting statistics to track that you wouldn't think would be interesting. If somebody would have asked me if I knew any statistics about cardboard boxes, I would have laughed and said no, and I'm kind of glad I don't. But um, listen to this headline. Cardboard band, uh, cardboard box demand plunging at rates of unseen since the great recession what it's almost a hundred years ago recession's been a long time now 80 some 90 maybe um what's going on that all of a sudden we don't need cardboard boxes that's not a good sign for shipping it's not a good sign for the economy And it's one thing when numbers go up and down, those are normal cycles. We're used to that. But when we, when all of the financial and economic news is about records, this hasn't happened since the 80s. We haven't had stagflation since the 70s and 80s. The unemployment's never been this good or this bad, or the cardboard boxes demand plunged at a rate faster than... Ever since the recession, when you start hearing headlines like that, these, these weird records, numbers we haven't seen in almost 100 years, we got to start paying attention. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a little scary. Um, they're down like almost 10%. That's a lot. Just about everything that gets shipped. Well, not everything, but a lot of stuff that gets shipped is shipped in cardboard boxes, So if they're not needing as many boxes, that means there's not going to be as much things being shipped. I don't think we have come anywhere near the bottom of this freight market yet. Uh, Let me see if I had any. uh, Let's see. Yeah, they had some other number in here. What what they call a box operating number or a box operating rate. Um, And what that tells us is how much capacity to build cardboard boxes is being used right now. 20% of the capacity is sitting there doing nothing because they don't need boxes. That's just not a good sign. What else we got here? Ah, class eight truck orders take a timeout in January. That's the headline class eight truck orders fell year over year in January for the first time since August. Um, we get some weird news in here too. Some reason the OEM suggests we're, we're going to have a good, strong year in truck sales ahead. They, they think that there's pent up demand. Uh, here's their quote in this truck sector. There's pent up demand from the prior three years of industry underproduction, and customers need to replace aging fleets. Well, that's going to get interesting. Um, that's, that is a true statement. Fleets right now have older trucks than they've had in a very long time because of the pandemic and everything that's been going on. But they are also in a really bad position to have to replace them because freight rates are dropping and there's not as much freight. So this is uh, this is going to get interesting. But as of right now, the orders are way down. They expect that they're going to come back. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. What's up next? Here's the headline Decade long misclassification case against Hub settled for roughly $5 million. California's ABC test loomed in the background. We're talking about AB5 here in California. Now, this particular lawsuit, Hub Group, which uh, uses a lot of owner operators in the ports, their owner operators argued that they weren't really owner-operators, they were employees. I have a problem with lawsuits like this. It. I would probably agree with them that they are employees. It, it, we'd have to look at each individual situation. If it's some lease purchase, weird deals, there's a bunch of drivers being called independent contractors that really aren't. I'm not arguing that point. What makes me a little crazy is an adult human being goes to get a job, and they get hired, and they don't understand whether they're an employee or an independent contractor, and then later on, they figure it out, and now they're going to sue somebody? See, I don't believe that. That's bullshit. They knew what they were getting into. They liked the fact that they didn't have taxes taken out of their check, but then the tax bill comes, And they have to pay it. And that's when they start whining and crying and they want to go look for lawyers. If you're too effing stupid to understand how you're being paid, that's really sad. But then what the the other side will scream, oh, well, they're being taken advantage of. You know what? If you're an adult in this world, in this society where information is available in your pocket and you're still too stupid to know this stuff, You kind of deserve to be taken advantage of. And unfortunately, we have lots of people who will take advantage of you. That's never going to stop, and the government can't stop it. So if you are walking through life feeling like you're being taken advantage of, smarten up. Stop being ignorant and stop making ignorant decisions and then whining that somebody else should take care of you. And now you're going to sue them. You knew what you signed up for. Live with it. Stop with all the lawsuits. The only people that benefit from all the lawsuits are the lawyers. Stop making the lawyers rich. Grow a background, bone, grow a spine, learn a few things, and don't be taken advantage of. The, the settlement's about $5 million which means the attorneys are the big winners because they, they don't tell us how many people are covered. I've, I've followed cases like this in the past where the owner-operators get a couple hundred bucks. If that, the lawyers get tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I mean, a typical lawyer's take out of $5 million uh, is going to be, what, about one point seven, $1.7 yeah, one point six million. The lawyer gets $1.6 The lawyers, the law firm, they're going to get about a third of it. Then the rest of it gets split up, and the people actually suing get very little most of the time. And that's probably what's going to happen in this one. The company itself gets hammered. This has been going on for 10 years. So the company's been paying all these legal fees. Now they're going to have to pay the settlement. And I'm not saying the company shouldn't have to pay the settlement. If they broke the law, they should have to pay something. But here's the problem. I've been involved with this too. Nothing ever changes. When I had my contract at FedEx, I went through three lawsuits with the IRS. I didn't go through them. I watched the the IRS suing FedEx. And every time it happened, FedEx paid a big fine and then just went on doing what they were doing. That's probably all that's gonna happen here. Part of the reason this just settled though, it's been going on for 10 years. Part of the reason it just settled is because of AB5. AB5 now allows for lawsuits like this and you're going to see them. This is the first big one I've seen. Uh, And this started before AB5 ever existed. They just weren't able to settle it. Now, once you look at the law in California, well, yeah, they're gonna lose this suit because the law changed. I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, That topic always makes me a little crazy. Uh, Since I was just mentioning FedEx, I'll jump to this one. Both FedEx and UPS are both expecting uh, some pretty big price hikes in 2023, 8 to 10%. That's a lot. Um, We deal with this, obviously, because we do a lot of shipping. We do ship primarily... Uh, with the U S postal service, not that I want to, um, but because we have a lot of customers that have PO boxes and with truck drivers, it's, it's not always feasible to use UPS or FedEx. Um, some parts of the country, UPS is so cheap, uh, or USPS is so cheap. We can't afford not to use them. Um, this will make it worse, um, You know, as long as the government puts out a cheap shipping service subsidized by the taxpayers' dollars, and it's my tax dollars they're using, as long as they do that, I'm going to take advantage of the savings. I wish they wouldn't, though. I wish they would stop using our money to subsidize a very very poorly run postal system. Our postal system is a disaster, such a waste of money. I wish they would just abolish it, that there's got to be a better way to do this. But what will happen, UPS and FedEx are going to raise their rates. They have to. Federal government doesn't have to. It can just go on losing trillions and trillions of dollars all the time, and you and I have to subsidize it. But um, we are going to do everything we can to keep our shipping costs down. We have not raised our prices yet in all of this. Three years Uh, With two years of inflation, we have not raised our prices yet. We haven't raised our shipping. Uh, We haven't raised any of our product prices. We will uh, continue to try to hold those costs down uh, as much as we can, but uh, shipping costs do look like they are going up. I don't see a date on here. It just says 2023. Uh, What do we have next? Next. Else do we have on board here? Um, try to do this in an order that makes sense. Oh, this one—I got to go find the article. I just had a note here. Where is here? It goes. Um, here's the headline: FMCSA goes after unscrupulous brokers with proposed rules. Um, the Federal Motor Carry Safety Administration has proposed changes to freight broker and freight forwarder financial responsibility requirements addressing the problem of brokers that don't pay motor carriers. Federal law requires brokers and freight forwarders to maintain financial security for circumstances where they don't pay carriers. This has been around forever. I mean, there's always been a a method here and rules in the FMCSA about brokers. They had to have a uh, $10,000 bond Um, map 21 that passed in 2012, I think, boy, has it been that long? Uh, increased that to $75,000. You know, I, I have a problem with this whole topic and I understand it sucks if you go did work for somebody and they don't pay you. That sucks, but that's a big part of business. All businesses that, that offer credit. And, and a lot of businesses do. We don't always offer it like we don't technically offer credit to consumers. We have in the past when we've done some loans for CMCs and big events and uh, we've done payment plans and we collect a little bit of interest and we're pretty reasonable about it. But in business, it's very, very common. Business to business transactions are many times operated on credit. So. Uh, for example now we don't do this we chose with all of our vendors it's just how we like to operate um, we don't have any terms with our vendors we pay on the spot Uh, when we order something we pay for it It, it, lots of our vendors would allow us to order stuff and then only pay once a month they would send us an invoice every month we choose not to do that we pay as we go we operate on cash That's a a really, in my opinion, a, a really good way to operate. But virtually every business I know has to make the decision, are we going to offer credit, whether it's to consumers or to other businesses? And if we do, what are we going to do about collections? If somebody doesn't pay us, what do we do? Well, you have to go after them. You have to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, you didn't pay me. And then if they ignore you, you go to a credit agency or a, uh, a, a collection agency, and you turn it over to them and let them collect it. That's part of business. I'm not really sure why we have to have these special rules for brokers. That's totally different. They're just, they're extending credit. Well, they're not extending credit. The broker isn't. The owner-operator is. The carrier extends credit to the broker. I'll pull the load you're going to pay me later when I send you an invoice. Again, very, very common in business. But no other businesses that I'm aware of, I'm sure there are some out there, but there's none that I've had any uh, contact with where the government gets involved in the credit part of this, and the collection part. This isn't a problem if you run your business right. You know, if you're using 100 brokers like I've talked about in the past, the odds of you getting screwed by one go way up. If you're using five brokers that you have a really good relationship with, about the only way I can see that you're not going to get paid in that case, somebody goes out of business. That's always a risk in business when we extend credit. We may not get paid. Somebody could file bankruptcy. But this is all part of business. It's almost like we, we treat owner operators, even though they are business owners, we treat them more like consumers. And I wish we would stop that. We have very strong consumer protection rules, but we don't apply those rules in business to business transactions because we assume that consumers need protection from business because business are the professionals and they have all the control. So we give consumers lots of protection through laws. It seems to me like for some reason in this industry, we almost extend that to owner operators. We treat them more like consumers, like they don't understand business and they need protection. I, I wish that whole concept would just go away. I mean, that goes back to the same thing about the independent contractor rule. Why, if you're not smart enough to know that you just signed up to be in business, why is that everybody else's fault? Part of it is our poor education system, and I don't want to even get started on that. All right, uh, let me see. I want to look through, did I highlight any notes in this article? I. Um, so here's, here's just a little bit more on this. Um, proposed changes to broker financial responsibility rules. Uh, the FMCSA's notice of proposed rulemaking aims to address these types of situation with changes to the regulations in five er- areas. Assets ready, readily available. Um, what they're talking about there is the bond itself. How many, how, how many financial assets does the, the broker have? Immediate suspension of broker freight forwarder operating authority. Immediate suspension. If they don't pay somebody... They might have their authorities suspended immediately. Surety or trust responsibilities in cases of broker, freight forwarder, financial failure, or insolvency. Oh, that's a little scary. Surety or trust responsibilities in case the, uh, of financial failure. Again, if I extend credit to a consumer or a business, and I do that irresponsibly as a business owner, and then I fail. Well, that's part of business. Failure is how we learn. Now what they're talking about is setting up trust funds. Somebody's going to have to put money into these things so that when a broker fails, there's a trust fund sitting there. Why is the government involved in this? This is business. The government should not be doing any of this stuff. Uh, they're going to change some rules in enforcement authority. They don't tell us what. Um, entities eligible to provide trust funds for form BMC 85 trust fund filings. I don't know what they're going to change there. Um, so they, it looks like they, boy. Assets readily available. The agency proposes allowing brokers or freight forwarders to meet the map 21 requirement to have assets readily available by maintaining trusts that meet certain criteria, including that assets can be liquidated within seven calendar days of the event that triggers a payment from the trust. We're going to make brokers set up trust funds. What, uh, complicated mess that's going to be. I, I just, I, like I said, I don't know why the government is so heavily involved, um, in this at all. Uh, what, what else was there in here? There's a whole bunch of typical government gobbledygook. This is still in the, um, uh, the listening phase, I believe. So I'll keep an eye on this uh, We'll. I'll talk about it again as the um, rules maybe start to solidify a little bit and we start to understand what they're going to do. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like what they're doing, um, but I'll keep an eye on that and we'll see what we come up with. Uh, right. Let me get back to my notes here. Uh, let's see. Get rid of this. I know I'm talking to myself as I'm doing this here. I have notes all over the place. Um, I had a headline here. I don't think I'm going to talk about this one, though. If the Teamsters Union strikes, will UPS close its doors? Um, I'm going to wait and just watch that one for a while. We still have some time on that one. Um, Here's a headline. Is ATA starting to understand small trucking businesses? Uh, The latest quote, the latest iteration of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee met for the first time on Wednesday with the goal of hearing from transportation related industries about the current state of transportation infrastructure and supply chain challenges. There were five industry representatives at the hearing representing trucking, rail, ports, construction and labor unions in the trucking corner was the American Trucking Association's president and CEO, Chris Spear. Um, I'm going to really kind of paraphrase this whole article. So we kind of know in the industry that the ATA does not represent small drivers and owner-operators. The ATA, American Trucking Association, is an association. It's not a government agency. Some people seem to think that it is. It's not. It's a private association, a private trade association. That's all it is. It's has nothing really to do with the government. The ATA. The ATA is an association that businesses join to Kind of get together with other businesses like them. And sometimes associations lobby the government to get things changed for an industry. Sometimes associations provide a lot of education and resources. Um, Business associations are are all over the place. That's all the ATA is. They're a big one. And they work with big carriers. They also uh, have a pretty unique... Um, pay structure on how you have to pay for your ATA membership. We know that the ATA is controlled by big carriers, just is. That's not good or bad. Just because they don't represent us, so what? They represent another group that they formed to do that. I don't know why drivers take this personally. Oh, the ATA doesn't care about me. No, they don't. You don't pay them any dues. Why would they care about you? Just because they're the American Trucking Association, so what? They formed to serve their customers. Their customers are big carriers. That's who they listen to. That's who they were formed by. But it goes one step further with the ATA. Your dues when you join the ATA as a trucking company, your dues are not set in stone. There's no standard price list that says a trucking company pays this to be a member. In the ATA, when you join, your dues are based on your revenues. The more money you make as a company, the more you have to pay to the ATA to belong to them. So guess who has the most power in the ATA? The ATA is already made up of big carriers. But the people who have the most power in the ATA are the Yellow Freight and UPS, the big, big companies that pay a lot of money in because they make so much money. Of course they get to run the show. It's their money. So stop taking the whole ATA thing personally. In this particular meeting, they made a big deal about Chris Spears and the ATA was actually like pushing for things that help owner-operators. Well, they were kind of, but it's not because they're helping owner-operators. It just happens to be one of the issues that kind of affects all of us in the trucking industry, and there were actually several, um, congestion on highways, improved truck parking, um, looking at California, AB five, um, looking at battery electric trucks and things like that. And, and they just, they made this big deal about how, you know, Oh, look, the ATA is really looking out for owner operators. No, they're not. It was just a coincidence that there were a couple issues here. You know, I, I have another topic here that I, I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to tie it in with this one. I also just happened to read about a new group being started by, it looked like four owner operators. Uh, and it's basically a, a trade association like a um, There are several of them out there. Hawaii is the big one, just like ATA. These groups are all the same. They just serve different people. Well, there's a new one starting up and they're. I think they're making another mistake, and I think it's the same mistake OIDA made. Like, I hate to criticize people when they're out trying to do something. So think of this as just really good constructive criticism. I'm just trying to get people to think about maybe a better way of doing things. I have I have struggled with this over the years because I, I've complained about the, the lack of a good business association for owner-operators. I attempted to build one at one time. Um, we had a pretty decent start on it, but unfortunately, it was a partnership that went south. Um, and I had to buy the other two partners out and then figure out what I was going to do with it. And I really didn't want to run the association. I had brought in a partner who had a ton of experience with associations. That's why we formed the partnership to do this. Here's uh, a long story. It just, uh, it, it we had a lot of struggles. It wasn't working. I had to buy out the other two partners, and I gave up on the association idea. So in one sense, again, I hate to criticize people that are doing it, but I'd like to see the industry get better too. So just, this isn't, you know, just me ragging on somebody's constructive criticism. I think, in my opinion that it was a mistake for Owaida to try to represent company drivers and owner operators. And this, this new association says they're going to do the exact same thing. You know, when you look at us as an industry, we are a big industry with a lot of different segments and a lot of different operations. There is no way one group could represent us all. Just can't. There's conflicts when you do that. So, you know, the, the TCA, the truckload carriers, used to be part of the ATA, and it didn't work. So they, they split it off. And then in the TCA, you even get segments where they'll have, if your trucking operation runs tankers, you're, you're in that division. So we kind of form smaller groups to represent the best interest of, of those groups. Like I said, if you try to represent too many people doing too many different things, there's just lots of conflicts. Just like the ATA is not going to represent small owner-operators because they represent big trucking companies. What do you do when there's an issue like, um, let's take this, let's take employee drivers and big trucking companies that they work for. How do you have a group represent both of them? What if the issue is that the owner or the drivers think that they should be paid detention time and it should be mandated by the government that's been tried? The carriers think, "Oh hell no, we don't want that. Well, if you're the group representing both of these people or groups, how do you solve that? Another good example for me, and I talked about it a lot when it was happening. Um, OIDA had a big push on one year to get a mandatory paid detention time from the shippers. They were going to ask the government to create a regulation and force shippers to pay detention time. Now, if you represent employee drivers, that makes a ton of sense. Drivers should not have to sit there at the dock. Now, mandating at the shipper level and getting the government involved, I think, is a mistake, But that's a a different matter. If you were representing drivers, pushing for some sort of mandatory detention pay makes sense. No matter who pays it, it does make sense. They deserve to be paid for the time they're just sitting there. And since that's kind of an industry-wide practice, then we need a, a pretty big push or pretty big group to turn that practice around. But... If I'm an owner operator and I belong to that same organization, the last thing I want them doing is forcing my customer to do something. That's my responsibility. If my customer, I'm a business owner, if my customer doesn't pay me for something I think they should pay me for, I either need to renegotiate or I need to find new customers. I don't need the government or somebody else forcing them. That's why I I don't believe you can represent these two groups well, but we have another group that's going to uh, going to attempt it. We'll see what happens. I, I have watched, you know, owner operator associations form and go out of business for the last thirty five years. In fact, like I said, I had one myself that didn't work out. It's a tough business, it really is. But I, I think part of the problem is we just try to represent too many people. I think a better. A better model is we have we, we have smaller associations representing very specific groups, and what if we had a coordinating group within trucking that that um, you know worked with all the associations like the ATA and the TCA and um, OIDA and this new group and any association that that represented somebody in trucking. If they wanted to, we'd form this consortium so that we could talk about what things are in our best interest, and when we find mutual problems, then then we could use all of our resources. But it seems like the, uh, the association groups in our industry spend a lot of time fighting amongst each other and not cooperating. So um, don't be surprised that certain groups aren't out there representing your interest. If you're not paying them money, they're probably not going to represent your interest. So if you want somebody to represent you, find a group that you're aligned with and pay some dues. And that's what associations are for. All right. Uh, what else do I got here? Um, here's one. Nikola launches mobile fueler for hydrogen fuel cell trucks. This one seems kind of interesting. Um, So part of the right now with all the shift to the greener trucks, there's kind of three platforms that are being built. So we have all electric. That, that's a Tesla. You know, it's just batteries. You charge it up, you drive it down the road. When your charge dies, you better find a charger. That's the only way you're going to go anywhere. We do kind of sort of have hybrids. Um, Hylion is kind of working with a couple OEMs and building a hybrid. So, kind of like a hybrid car where it has a gas engine or a diesel engine. It charges some batteries. So, you might be running on batteries, you might be running on engine. Um, That's a hybrid. I think hybrids in trucking are going to be a waste of time. I don't think that's the right way to go, but there is some of that. And then we have the hydrogen electric, like the Nikola, where we have to get compressed hydrogen onto the truck and we use that to generate electricity um, and Nicholas claiming like a 500 mile range. But then we have to have a hydrogen station somewhere so we can onboard more hydrogen. Now 500 miles might sound impressive when we talk about electric vehicles but take the typical truck on the road today that gets seven miles to the gallon and has 200 gallon capacity 150 usable even let's just just go with that um you are looking at uh much much better range double the range plus and you know once in a while you get out to the west coast you better watch your fuel you get into wyoming and North Dakota and places, you better be paying attention. Even with that much range, sometimes it's hard to get to the next truck stop. You got to do a little planning and pay attention. Well, if we can only make it 500 miles and we need another hydrogen station, how are we going to build out all these hydrogen stations? And do we really want to? Because is this the future or are we going to be past hydrogen in 10 years and, and just battery electric? So this hydrogen thing has always seemed way overcomplicated to me. And now it seems like they're complicating it even more. Here's what they're doing. Nicholas says it has developed a hydrogen mobile fueler capable of direct fueling hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles as it prepares to roll out its own FCEV. FC is fuel cell electrical vehicle. Um this thing's a a pretty complex it's a trailer it's really complex i couldn't find any cost in here but this thing has to be outrageously expensive to build this trailer and this trailer is going to be able to go out and fuel trucks remotely with hydrogen does this sound like a good system or a good idea? This sounds like overly complicated, overly expensive. How much is it going to cost me to have hydrogen delivered for my truck? I, uh, this is the problem. This exists because of government subsidies. This is a stupid idea and it's stupid business and it exists because of government subsidies. This is what I talk about when we are going to take what I believe will be a better future and a better technology. Electric over internal combustion engines, I believe is a better future. We're not there yet. We need good batteries. We don't have them. That's the real sticking point here. But we're never going to get the better technology as long as we have all these government subsidies. Now, some some people would argue the opposite. Oh, no, the government puts all that money and we'll, we'll discover all the best stuff. No, you won't. Never happens that way. It's the exact opposite. I talked about it in the solar. I gave up on putting solar on my house because I'm tired of dealing with companies who are only in business to get tax credits. That's what's going on here. I, I'm... I don't have the data, but I'm pretty sure Nickel is getting a ton of money from the government to develop stuff like this. And it seems to me to be just a, a total waste of time and money. And this isn't the way we should be doing this. And again, I've talked about these numbers before, but I'm going to um, I'm going to give you these numbers. Here's something else I hate about these articles. It says, um, With a range of up to 500 miles, the Nicola Trey FCEV is expected to have among the lowest, the longest ranges of all commercially available zero tailpipe emission Class 8 tractors, while realizing weight savings when compared to Class 8 BEVs with similar range. Yeah, uh, of course, this complicated hydrogen fuel cell truck is going to be a little lighter than a true battery electric, but they don't say it's lighter than a conventional tractor. So we still have weight issues. Again, we're going to have to deal with, but here's the kind of numbers. Um, here are the, the tax credits that are available for these trucks upon final HVIP approval. Purchasers of the Nicola Trey FCEV in 2023 may qualify for California's state-based incentive valued at $240,000 per truck, $270,000 per truck for drayage fleets. Those are the fleets that work in and out of the ports. They're going to get $270,000 per truck or... Up to $288,000 per truck for drage fleets with 10 trucks or less located within a disadvantaged community area. Bullshit on top of bullshit covered with more bullshit. My God, we're just giving money away and we're picking and choosing winners. Now, look, I love small business, but I don't think small trucking companies should get a bigger tax credit than a a trucking company with 10 trucks in a bad neighborhood is basically what they're telling us or minority owned. Probably will get a lot more tax money than somebody who owns 11 trucks and isn't a minority. That is just wrong. We have got to stop doing this. We have got to stop allowing the government to pick winners and losers like this. But the bigger picture is, These numbers are absolutely insane, and that does not include the $40,000 federal tax credit that you could get for buying one of these vehicles. So it's possible that somebody who operates in a port in California has less than 10 trucks and is disadvantaged, whatever that means. I haven't seen the definition of that yet. They could potentially... Get $342,000 from the government because they bought one truck. Does anybody else think that is absolutely insane and it needs to stop? That is just so wrong. But that's what's going on right now. Elections have consequences. All right. Uh, Let's see. I think I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I had a couple of couple other topics here, but uh, they're all kind of long. So I think I'll roll one of these over into uh, next week's commentary. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the other one. So I'm going to wrap this up. I will see you back on the live show. Help us out. Spread the word. We're uh, we're getting closer to wrapping up some of our technology, and we're going to start looking to expand the show. We have not been promoting our show. We haven't been advertising it. We haven't been trying to grow it, uh, but we're getting ready to, and and we'd love your help. So spread the word. Tell people about the app. Tell them about the show. Uh, come join us on Healthy Tribe and Trucking Tribe. If, uh, if you're on Twitter, I, I am finally on Twitter after a couple decades of staying off of it. You can uh, search for um, at let's underscore truck. That's where you'll find us on Twitter. I've been uh, pretty active there. I've been getting active back onto our two sites again. We still have a lot of work to do on our two sites. That's continuing on. Uh, so we'll keep you updated on that.